Welcome to the Asasavashan podcast, a place where we discuss everything related to becoming the best version of ourselves. Today's topic was about mental health, depression and flow state. I invited Alex Wish, who's a leading peak human performance and executive flow coach, to discuss his story and tips. Before we get into it, please follow and please share with your friends and family. We all want to become the very best version of ourselves and this podcast is here for it. So let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of It's Us of Action. Actually the first episode in 2023 after a long break. Um, just a short summary. I you know, took a break from the podcast to focus on like venturing into the startup space. Kind of burnt out face a lot of like you know things I didn't expect and realized how important the fundamentals are when it comes to you know health and mindset just everything that I was talking about on the podcast before um so today I'm very very grateful to be talking to Alex he is a leading peak human performance coach um but I am more interested to just dive straight into who you were before you were a peak performance coach. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, when it comes to my personal journey, I've definitely taken a bit of a very atypical path, partially not by choice and then partially by choice. But my journey began, I was a uh, perfectionist back when in college during sophomore, and I was striving towards to get a 4.0 GPA. Now, during that time, I just totally burnt myself out. And when I burnt myself out, I basically just hit a rock bottom. Um, I couldn't focus. I started to get very depressed. Um, I was also trying to sail and eventually sail and compete in the Olympics. Um, and when I went out there sailing, I just had no enjoyment in the sport. And even I had thoughts of just not wanting to live doing the thing I absolutely love doing. And at that point, I knew I had to leave and I had to get help. So uh, I, on my this journey, I left. And for about eight years of my life, I dealt with uh, severe major depression, um, literally in and out of the hospital over 10 times, went through all sorts of treatments. Um, you name it, I probably went through it. Multiple diagnosis from all sorts of treaters. Doctors telling me, Alex, you know, this is the quality of your life. Uh, you're going to stay on disabilities. You're, you're not going to get better. You could start accepting this and stop fighting this. And it, it was really, really challenging coming from a, a person who was a high performer to a person that really struggled just to get out of bed and function on a daily basis. Um, now, as we kind of go along this journey, a couple of things I want to point out is there's two concepts. There's, there's internal locus of control or it's one concept, internal looks control and external looks control. Throughout my journey, when I went from this high-performing person to basically a, a no-performing no person, I was so focused on external treatment or something that was going to fix me. And it really just took away all my personal power of the situation. And it wasn't until later when I was battling this major depression and it got to a place that was actually shut down by the Board of Mental Health. There was a lot of mistreatment. And I knew that, like, I basically ended up standing on a bridge and was, like, debating whether I jump or I need to do something so drastic and change my trajectory. Um, and actually, that night, I rode, like, oh, I rode, like, 14 hours to get to this holistic hospital and kind of really rethink my entire plan, which is a whole other story. But that's where I shifted and really looked at in myself of what I could control. 
And that's where I also came with my seven pillars of nutrition, exercise, um, sleep, communication, community, mindset, and purpose. And then through that journey, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, um, I originally built up some confidence. Um, I joined this rock gym with a community of healthy people. Community was huge. I became a personal trainer. Uh, when I became a personal trainer, I started training some of the top venture capitalists in the Boston area. Uh, one of them was like Semyon Dukash, who was in the movie 21. He was one of the leading um, blackjack students from MIT that made like, you know, millions over in Las Vegas. And when I trained these venture capitalists, I learned all about investing. Um, that was like my basis of education. And then I, got a, then I started getting pulled into different opportunities. And I changed my mindset from saying no to everything because I was so scared of failure. And I was just so discouraged to saying, you know what, if people ask me to do something, I'm just going to say yes. Regardless of what it is, I'll just say yes. And I went from, you know, I, I had a client that had two 80,000 square foot warehouses and literally helped them sell them, you know, and like literally they wanted, you know, set, they wanted a certain amount of money. And I basically got them like three X for the property and I made a margin. And then I started advising different startups in the wellness industry, came and do diligence with different venture capital. Um, I studied under Stephen Kotler for productivity and flow and just kept building and advising different companies and started working with CEOs and transitioned from the personal training and working with athletes to working with all these top professionals. Uh, one th other thing I'll throw in here is what I've learned about mental health when you're at your lowest low and the skills they teach you in CBT and DBT, those same skills I actually apply to people who are the top performers, uh, just use them in a different setting. And which was, which was very unique to find out. But, you know, along that journey, you know, now um, I do coaching and I also have another company I work with called Connected. And we actually do um, development projects in real estate, some multi-billion dollar deals on the capital side we pull together. And then in the fitness world, um, on a yearly basis, I do a fitness beat that I trained for. Um, in 2021, I, did, I wore a 24 pound vest did 1,000 pull-ups, 2,000 push-ups, and 3,000 squats, about six hours, eight minutes. We raised about 37,000 for veterans' mental health. And then coming up in May, I am training for a world record to do the most vertical feet rock climbed in 24 hours to also raise money for mental health. Um, but with the overall goal of just sharing my story and creating awareness around the stigma of mental health. So that's a big overview of a lot of what I went through. And what I kind of stand for today. Yeah, honestly, it's a long journey. And I think, you know, saying yes to everything, you just never know where it can lead. It's very interesting. What, like, because um, you said you were focusing on helping, like, venture capitalists. Like, do you see there's, like, a difference in terms of, like, mindset or, like, struggles that founders go through, VCs go through? And it, is, is there some sort of difference? Do you like train them different ways? <laughs> I'm just curious. So if, if you're work, so let's just say, um, if we're looking at a wellness perspective, okay, people in the startup world are, are really, I mean, they all have a hard work ethic mentality. Um, startup, you know, they, they don't, I mean, their financial means might be very different. They might have put all their money into their project, you know, they are just absolutely grinding. There's a mentality where, you know, I just have to work harder. I just got to put more hours in. 
And you really try to have to shift their mentality to working smarter and not harder because it's also, it's not just about getting something done this month, next month, these next six months. It's how can you sustain a level of productivity over the year, two years, three years, five years forward. Now, working with them is one thing. You know, they tend to um, just be in the workaholic space and kind of lack some social structure where venture capitalists are a little like, uh, some of them like are at points in their life, and I'll be very honest, where they've made a ton of money and they're a little bored. So like I have to help people kind of navigate in their world. They get bored and they start getting, and I mean, in the, in the wellness space, it's, it's kind of navigating away from alcohol and drugs and other things and kind of refocusing them on, you know, really just a good, clean path and staying healthy. Um, they have a lot more distractions, I would say, within the world. Um, and, you know, having them have that wellness piece for a sustainable lifestyle is, is a little different, but very, very essential. And so, like, what's your take? Because I think in the startup space, there are like two views of, you know, one view is like the workaholic. You have to just you have to be obsessed with your, you know, your vision. You have to go all in cut out everything and just do your best but then there's also the other side like no this is unhealthy like it's actually worse for you it's actually going to damage your productivity well, what's your like experience and your take on it because I think you know 2023 everyone's saying it's not going to be the easiest year for founders and I'm assuming that you know I mean every year is the same but this year might be like a little bit more where there's going to be hard and difficult times that founders are going to go through like the lowest of lows so from your experience and like how you help others what would you advise them to you know what can they do to keep their strength and just like keep powering through but also not kill themselves <laughs> so it so the, the question a simple way to put it because I'm, I'm also an investor and i'm an angel investor and i'm invested in companies and what I really do is I'm investing in the founders and I'm investing in the team. You know, the concept needs to be a solid concept, but if, if, if the, the founder or the team, if someone I don't think that can really sustain their work ethics or is full behind a project, I'm just not going to invest in that company, regardless how good it is. Um, now, there is a balance, but the balance can shift. And it's not going to be a perfect balance. And that, that's also okay. But what you want to do, one thing you always want to do is you always want to, on a calendar, you know, if, if you're working on a company, you need to put little breaks, meaning let's just say like this next month or these next two months are going to be crazy, like schedule a couple day vacation, something to look forward to, something to regroup after, like you got to put those little vacations, those little breaks in and already have those scheduled in and make those like you have to take that time off, like force yourself to take some of that time off because you need a reboot. Um, now, when it comes to self-care and health, you know, I, I'm a huge believer and, and I do a lot with flow. And just for people who don't know, flow is, is a state of mind where you're hyper-focused, you're optimally productive, um, and time kind of just like melts away. Um, it's as if it's, if you ever go to a coffee shop and you talk with some, and then all of a sudden two hours go by and you realize you just had a conversation for two hours, that's like a flow state. And you can also get with a team can get in a flow state. Um, now to get in that, and that's the most productive state we can get in. 
you do need to get some adequate sleep. You do need to get some exercise. You need to have nutrition. Um, you know, there are some essential pieces to have in your life. I would say like, it comes down to planning. So if you have like a Sunday and you have a whole week coming up ahead of you, like prep your food ahead. So you have food ready to go, right? Because you, it's, it's also about reducing friction. Like if you are going to be working a while, you, like, you need to think they're easy. So prep food ahead, you know, plan out maybe times with loved ones or some social time in there. Again, it might not be balanced, but something. Um, we have things called ultradium rhythms where I actually highly suggest working in like 90 to 120 minute blocks. So then you take about 20 minutes of active recovery, which could be, um, it's a way to kind of reduce your cognitive load and you kind of walk, maybe you go out in nature, maybe do breathing technique, meditation, just check in with yourself, seeing what you need. Um, but, but it is a balance. So you, you, you are going to push it pretty hard, but you need to also see those moments of active recovery, reducing cognitive load, reducing cortisol. Um, and again, it's, it's the startup world is not just, oh, I got to raise money, hit this point, because as soon as you do that, you're going to realize, shit, now, now I got to raise this money, hit this point. It's, it's really looking at the long game. And a lot of CEOs build, burn themselves out, and then like another CEO gets pulled in. But it's looking at that long game and looking at, you know, you, you might do sprints, but at least at the end of that sprint, you know, I need a break, right? Um, and then knowing how to kind of connect those sprints together. And um, like you mentioned um, also you help with productivity. I think for me, it's like now I'm, I'm better at this, but before I was like feeling very guilty, like taking breaks. Um, <laughs> is there any like science behind like breaks helping with productivity? Um, is it like a part of your kind of plan in, in, in helping startups, uh, founders be more productive? Yeah. So the best way I like to explain this is think of it this. Um, if you have a computer, all right, and you have multiple tabs open, what happens to your computer? Crashes. <laughs> it crashes. It slows down, right? There's, there's, there's a lot of RAM being taken up. So our brain, the concept cognitive load, we can really only balance about four things at once. Okay. So what a break can do is as we go from like investor meeting to investor meeting to team meeting to working on a project, we're kind of opening up multiple tabs. And so the idea is, and, and we actually start slowing down our processes. And the idea is that when you take that break that we call active recovery, where it's a more of a mindfulness process, where we're more like paying attention to our surroundings, basing ourselves, kind of stepping away from all the stuff we just did, it's like closing all those tabs, right? And now you have a computer, you have a brain that's going to run a lot more efficient and effective. Um, but they've shown that, you know, getting into a flow state, I mean, you, you can't also sustain a flow state for long, long, crazy periods of time. Like you're going to burn yourself out and it, it's just going to die off. But if you want to like optimize flow, and I'll, I'll even say this, which this might even sound like, uh, you might be like, what, are you nuts? Um, People who are like authors, I do this a lot with book writers, um, but also people who are more creatives. When you're working and you hit that high point that you're so engaged in your work, and let's say you're like two hours in, you feel like you could just keep on going. That's like 
the best time to take a break. And because it's also the time you don't want to take a break. Do what? It's also the time you don't want to take a break. Oh, it's it's a time you don't want to take a break because you feel like you're in the flow, you're going. Mm-hmm. And you could be in the flow and going, and you could go, and maybe you could push out like another hour or two. But when you do take a break, even 15, 20 minutes, and you come back in, you're able to jump right back on where you were and stretch out that period even further. So it's it's all about you know taking that flow state and how much can we stretch it out throughout the day and engage it in our work. How many... Is it possible for someone to be like in the flow state for most of the day? I remember there's one book that I read. It talked about like, I think it needs three conditions to be in a flow state. The one is that you are set like a clear objective that you want to do. And then it's uh, make sure that the task is meaningful to you. And then the other is that it's not too easy and it's not too hard. It's kind of the, the three conditions that I remember to get into the flow state? So when, when I talk about flow, um, two questions. You asked, can it, well, there's two things. One, you talked about flow triggers, okay? And I'll just highlight this. There's three types of flow, first of all. There's being in a flow as an individual, engaging your work. There's a team that literally gets into this hive mind that is in a flow state together. And then there's this larger concept of flow, which is almost like you're at a concert where everyone becomes in sync and engaged. So there's like this three types. Now, when you're talking about individual triggers, people, depending on who you're talking about, there, there's multiple different triggers, but like a couple of them, I'll just kind of throw your way. And sometimes it's why people get burnt out because they don't have these triggers, but there's, but also entrepreneurs can also have many of these triggers, but like you know, having curiosity, passion, purpose is one. Having autonomy in what you're doing. Um, complete concentration. A sense of risk. Um, novelty. Um, when there's complexity. When there's a degree of unpredictability. Um, deep embodiment can be one. That's talked a little bit more when it comes to, like, being kind of like extreme athlete. Um, having immediate feedback. It could be from your environment or what you're doing, or it could be you're pitching to, like you're talking about startups, you're pitching you know, to investors, you're getting immediate feedback, or from a team, clear goals. And you were also ch- talking about a challenge risk ratio, which is basically you want, um, if, if the challenge is, so it's sorry, challenge skill ratio. So if your challenge is way too above your skill set, it's going to induce anxiety. If it's way too below, it'll induce boredom. But they say it's like around, and you know how you determine this number, what you're doing, a little tricky, but if it's around 7 to 14%, if the challenge is like 7 to 14% above your skill set, it creates that kind of, that focus, that, that flow. And then there's also just, you know, when you engage in creativity and, and pattern recognition. Um, so, you know, your three triggers can kind of get built out into more, into those triggers. Now, the other question you, you asked me was, can you sustain flow for like an entire day? And I would say there are limits because in a flow state, we're using a lot of um, neurotransmitters. We're, we're releasing a lot of dopamine, norepinephrine, a lot of neurotransmitters. And, and there's, 
you know, only so much our body can release, we kind of feel a little burnt out. And in fact, when we go into flow, there's a flow cycle, meaning that there's originally a struggle phase, meaning like sometimes we might get really, we might try to overload ourselves with information. Then you actually, and it's kind of like, a, um, we, we call it a graceful struggle when you realize that struggling is part of the process. And then there's a release phase when you walk away, then you come back into a flow state and then there's like a recovery state. So, but if you trained yourself and, and you really, you know, holistically nutrition's taken care of hydration, sleep, a lot of these different equations, I would say for a good part of the day, you can engage in a flow state. Okay. That's good. Cause I think the average is like, uh, average focus was like three minutes or something crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's something that I did here. Um, I had another question that I, I wanted to ask is the reason kind of how I found you was through your post where you posted about sure. like really successful people having depression, but also being successful at the same time. I think there is probably this like perspective from like the outside world that these people are like bulletproof. They don't have, they don't go through mental health issues because they've got this like, you know, massive success. Um, what's your take on like achieving success at the same time being like, depressed like is you mentioned it was like high functioning depression depression by itself is a very big spectrum that's what i put out mm -hmm. there what depression is for one person can be very different for someone else and i also want to say that someone experiencing depression doesn't always experience depression 24 hours a day you know it can ebb and flow and on top of that you know, being sad is different than depression. Sadness is a symptom of depression. So there's just kind of a little couple of different variables. Um, I'll speak for myself first. I had a very severe major depressive state to the point that I just wasn't functioning at all. And I got out of that hole through a combination of therapy, skills, behaviors, medication. It, it took a bunch of different things to get me out of that. Now, Today, I like to consider myself, you know, tackling or trying to tackle world records, doing these business deals, you know, working and, um, you know, striving towards, you know, high goals as a highly functioning person. But I myself still struggle with depression, not as severe as it was, but I still have depression. Um, it's, it, it's a little more in the background for me. It's, it's more, I would say, in my situation, Part of the reason why I kind of do a lot is it kind of, honestly, it distracts me a little bit because there's this kind of a bit of a low in my background and I'm still working on it. It's a work in progress kind of, you know, to get to a quote unquote full remission. But a lot of these people, um, I'll give you an example, Elon Musk. And, you know, I'm going to talk about depression. There's clinical depression, there's major depression. But during, I believe it was um, SpaceX, he lost his son. And, and this part of this is speculation. I'm just going to be completely honest with you because, you know, people report different things. But think of this as the concept less than the direct story. But he, he lost a son during that time. And, you know, as a distraction and to kind of focus all his energy instead of thinking about the, the sadness, you know, of losing someone, he put all that energy into creating SpaceX. So some of these high-functioning people they use work to distract themselves from a background kind of this low grade that could be meandering depression 
or you know, it, it's, it's, it can be a real distraction. And, or I would say, like for me, you know, I do my work, I help people. My passion and using what I've done in my past is, is to improve mental health and help people come over adversities. And that by itself is a huge antidepressant for me. And that's what gets me out of bed every day. And that's what motivates me, right? That purpose. Um, so yeah, so I mean, some, some people, they're, they're, you don't see it. They smile in public. Um, I actually did, I did another post recently on this, but they, they smile in public, they engage, they can come across very cheerful and joyful. But behind closed doors, I mean, you know, when you don't see them, they could be, you know, crying and sad. Um, they can be contemplating a lot of things, you know, not wanting to live. Um, I also, I, my, my Val Victorian back in high school who went to Harvard, um, you would see, I, I saw him as very, very accomplished. Um, I think he was one of the top people in his class in Harvard and no one knew and he ended up taking his life and he was such a high functioning person and it's, it's really sad. So, you know, coming out of this, I, I do want to say also one other thing is that you really don't know who's struggling. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have friends and family, it's always good to check in with them and to know that, like, you know, if, if anything is going on, you can always talk because more or less, we're all humans and we all have points in our life where we struggle. I guess one thing is, like, some people know they're struggling, but they can't get themselves to talk about it, especially with people close. I don't know, there's something where sometimes, like, there are some things you just can't talk to with very, very close people, but you can talk to with strangers. I guess that's why, like, therapists, you know, help. But, um, yeah, what advice would you have in terms of, like, maybe someone right now is listening, they're, you know, on the outside doing really well, but deep down they're not telling anyone that they're actually going through some stuff. Um, and maybe they don't know if they should tell someone. Like, what would you tell them? Like, what can they so, do? A couple of things here is, I mean, there's there's stigma about mental health. That that's something that's out there. Um, you know, I made a decision for myself to be very open, but I'm also self-employed, so I do have that advantage. And I know that there is still stigma in the workspace. Mm -hmm. um, and there is still stigma. Like, there's stigma around having a therapist. But I want people to know that. You know, I've worked with a lot of very, very successful CEOs um, and executives. And a commonality between the people who are most success successful is they've built a team around them. And a team consists of a lot of different support. You know, they almost as if they are their own little, you know, entity company, right? So, like, they have someone that, that helps them with fitness. They have somebody that helps coach them in the business world. You know, they have a therapist that helps guide them when they're hitting kind of emotional turmoil. And, and it happens. There's, there's a lot of stress in the world. There's a lot of things that we have to balance. So, you know, having a team is really a part of the equation to create significant success. And having someone that can, you can talk to and be an outlet, I think, is extremely important. So my suggestion is, you know, on a very, you know, small basis is, you know, trying to find, have a therapist, um, you know, if you're questioning you're going through or not, just someone who's a sounding board or someone who you can just share things with and kind of get it off your chest. Now, I will say one thing when it comes to therapists, because I've seen a bazillion in my lifetime uh, with everything I've gone through, is that you should see a couple different people and find someone that's a good match, because um, one experience does not dictate all of them. So, so I would say that, and also something that I really learned when I started sharing my story and being so open is that other people, 
felt so comfortable around being me that they also started to share their story. And I started to realize like everyone has struggles. Like there is not a single person I think I've met that does not have some struggle. So, you know, um, it's everyone's dealing with something and, and, you know, finding, being able to talk to friends might be, you know, something you might want to try or a therapist, but uh, people can be more accepting than I think a lot of people realize. Being the first one to be vulnerable or often opens up to like the other person opening up as well. Um, do you have like a case study that you don't mind sharing? Like you don't need to share like who, but like how you helped like someone go from, you know, A to B. Because I feel like it's always good to kind of see how like the transformation of someone, like what what it took for, for them to get there. Because like, what I remember when I was at like a really low point with my mental health is just like... Um, like when you're at the lowest point and you haven't been at a low point before, it's like you just don't know, like you just feel like there's no way out. So if someone is at that stage and like you're helping the person, like how do you manage to help them? Because one thing I feel like is you can't really help people change unless they want to change themselves. Um, yeah. So have you ever come across people like that where they're struggling a lot, um, but they just maybe don't know how to help themselves? Um, yeah. I get a lot of outreach from many, many people, um, especially on LinkedIn. I'm most active on LinkedIn. On, on Instagram, I do a lot with fitness. But I get a lot of people that reach out. Um, and I, I actually also do some consultations outside the business world just to help kind of guide people and let them know what's out there or what are possibilities or different ways to get help. Um, but the... Well, I'd say going into, let me kind of jump into like a case study for you. Okay. So I have, I'll give you maybe two. One of them I dealt with uh, was a female and she um, was at a point in her life where she was, um, she, she had a son and her, her partner uh, was working overseas and there was a lot of challenges in the relationship. Um, she was running a dance school, used to be a professional dancer. Okay. This is someone I've worked with now for many, many, many years. Um, and there was a lot of internal, internalized dialogue just over the years from being a dancer and all the perfectionism and like, you're not doing it right. And you have to do it this way was so imprinted. And those voices, that mindset was just so ingrained in her, talking to her like every day, like down at her, right? That like nothing's ever going right. You have to always do it better. So, you know, working on the mindset was a really big piece. Uh, now, this person was also going through, through menopause. There was a lot of other challenges going on. And along with that, when I work with people, it's a multifaceted approach, meaning there's a psychological piece, but also our bodies, our hormones like our blood work is really important. So I always suggest people to get like a full blood panel. And her situation, um, her, one of her thyroids was very off. And that actually can lead to severe depression. Um, and so she ended up getting treated for the thyroid, that got better. And then we worked together um, and she ended up becoming a coach and a very uh, well-known coach helping other dancers. And she also started to work with other also women who are trans who are going through menopause and hitting a lot of challenges. Um, but it was a complete 
I mean, complete transformation in her life, 100%. And now she, you know, has this amazing coaching company, has written a book, um, and goes on talks um, a lot and talks to a lot of major audiences. So, you know, that that's one. Um, but, but I've definitely, I mean, there's just been a lot of different people. Uh, some people will come to me and they don't really know what they're dealing with, but they'll come to me and just say like, look, like I used to be able to wake up in the morning, you know, get up, get my work done, crush the day. And now like, I just don't want to work or like everything is boring or like it's, it's hard getting out of bed. Like, and they just don't really understand it. And that's, that's totally normal. I mean, a lot of times you're, you go through depression, the people around you realize it before you do. And it's not till you hit rock bottom that you actually end up realizing, you know, how far you've gone. Um, but in those situations, you can really start instilling um, different behavioral changes, um, you know, and really helping someone get back on that path. And maybe they need to take a vacation. Maybe, you know, right now, I live in Boston, Massachusetts. It's winter out. You need to get more sunlight. I use a light box. Um, light box are actually really good for burnout. There, there's some great studies on that. But there's a lot of different ways um, of help people through a lot of challenging scenarios. Um, you mentioned like mindset. So another question is like when it comes to social programming. And right, right now I'm reading the book uh, like how to I forgot the, like, from Drew Dispenser. Um, Break the habit of being yourself, thing something similar, and talks about like social programming. So, what's your take on that? Because I feel like, um, like, where do you think? Like, I think it's very easy to be fed in a ton of information from the outside world, um, and like, how? What's your version on how someone can reprogram their mind from like maybe not feeling worthy, um, you know, just lost, um, all the negative stuff to actually believing in themselves more and you know taking action towards towards where they where they want to be and who they want to be yeah so i mean mindset's a great topic because you know it's we call it like the inner critic that inner dialogue and the person that you talk to the most during the day is yourself you know in your mind right um and what that person said is going to greatly greatly affect your confidence and and i also want to highlight something Kind of going into this on a you know uh that's been proven there's something called the banister effect now the banister effect is based off a guy who ran the four, first four minute mile and once he broke that mile no one thought it could be done he was able like then like a month later like someone else ran a four minute mile a couple months later someone else ran a four minute mile then all of a sudden all these people are running not, not a ton but people are running four minute miles ever since he broke it before that no one's ever broken it the act of simply believing you're capable of doing something significantly increases the outcome. Now, when you start building momentum, you get more confidence, that's easy, right? But trying to build up a narrative in the beginning can definitely be challenging. It's really important, I would say, a lot of these skills need to be practiced daily. And another way I like to think about it is, let's say in your brain, there's... I'm going to use a metaphor. There's a car that's going around a dirt track, okay? Now, that car keeps going around a dirt track again and again and again, and now all of a sudden that track has these tire marks where the car's stuck in, right? When you want to retrain your brain to think differently, it's like you have to force that car to get out of those tracks and take a different path, and it's hard. 
It's challenging. It's none of this stuff is easy. There, if, if you want to find an easy way to change your mindset, I, I have no suggestions. I'll be honest. It's, it's not easy. It's hard stuff, but it's a hundred percent worth it. But it starts off with a couple areas. One is, you know, talk to the people around you, ask them their opinion about yourself. So you get an outside opinion because our opinion is very biased. So get outside opinion. It could be from coworkers. It could be from your friends, your family, and start to see what they think about it. That could be one. Okay. And kind of use that as some good feedback. Two, um, you know, I do a lot is when I go into certain situations or I, or I have a self-belief. If I have like an internal self-belief, I'll write it down. I'll write down the proof that supports it. And I'll write down the proof that doesn't support it, that kind of goes against it. And you can see it on paper. And usually with those limiting self-beliefs, you'll find out that there's less proof supporting it than you realize. And there's more proof supporting an actual positive belief in yourself, right? Another thing is for me, when I do an event, um, I, I help my clients go into board meetings, um, you know, and really be focused myself going to big business meetings. I kind of do like a pep talk for myself. It's almost like you see those coaches talking themselves, you know, talking to the, the team before a big game, right? Like you got this, you can do it. Like I literally do that to myself, you know, just to kind of recite some words um, is really important. And one of the last tips I'll throw out there is when you have success, now you, you could be a very high performer and your bar for success keeps going up and up and up, which is great. You know, you're achieving more and more, but you can actually get harder and harder and harder on yourself because if you don't hit that bar, then all of a sudden you're not worthy, right? So what's really, really important is celebrating all the small successes around, along the way. Those are what really can build confidence. So like treat yourself to a coffee, like, you know, set something to celebrate. And it doesn't have to be these huge grand things that you achieve, but acknowledging the small things along the journey. Yeah, I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't don't do enough is give themselves credit and then just go straight into like, you know, they got something, yay, okay, back to work. <laughs> um, that's something I often see see in my circle. Um, but I know that time is kind of very close. So thank you so much for coming. Um, would love to know more like in terms of, you know, if you could tell the audience anything because what I've learned, you know, during the past years and my goal with anything that I do with like podcast, with like the newsletter, anything is all about like building more like an ecosystem of people because sure. I like you said like if you surround yourself with different people um you know investors entrepreneurs people interested in health people interested in mindset people interested in going out like you can I feel like life becomes a lot more like the opportunity is just endless so what would you like to share to the audience who like what you're doing and like what kind of people you'd like to connect with because I'm sure that there's lots of people listening who might you know listen to you and want to reach out to you about like confidence coaching or like uh, mental health sure, sure. or just like investing so yeah what one thing before I just jump down I'm going to give one one kind of final tip okay um in the net networking for me has been a catalyst to accelerate my career significantly just meeting different people and creating relationships one tip I'll throw out there is that if you ever were to go in a room with 40 people, ask yourself, what's going to make you stand out from those 40 people when you meet somebody, right? 
how is some how is that one person you're gonna meet remember you? Like what a part of your story makes you unique? And that's just really important when it comes to networking because those are the little things that someone remembers and when they connect with you, they'll be able to remember you and you just stand out beyond your other peers. Um, now for me, uh, I'm really active on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is one of the best places you can reach me. I do a lot with productivity. I do a lot with mental health. Um, so anything uh, on LinkedIn, and it's Alex, my last name's Wish, W-I-S-C-H. And then on Instagram, which is Wish, W-I-S-C-H dot F-I-T, Fit, um, that's all my fitness stuff I put out there. Um, but I, I respond to people. You can reach out to me. I also have a website um, that's wishfit com. You can also reach out to me there. But yeah, if you're interested in coaching, um, if you're a CEO, executive in the startup world, want coaching, or you're battling some challenges, adversities, I'm here for you. And yeah, healthy to help however I can. Cool. Thank you so much. And good luck with the fitness challenge. Um, I'm honestly like, I admire, you know, it reminds me of David Goggins. <laughs> um, so yeah. All the best. And I hope everyone took some great, you know, lessons from this podcast. And I'm just very excited to be back and to continue the podcasting journey with you all. So until next time, everyone. Thank you so much, Alex. Pleasure.